You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI. You're listening to one of the theme songs used by the 1970s TV show This Week in Pro Football, produced by NFL Films. In the last episode, I described how this fantastic little show took me from being indifferent to the sport of professional football to being a student of the game. And I made the point that we are all students of the cybersecurity game. But unlike football, this game isn't static. There's always something new going on that we have to learn and understand. I wish we had a weekly 30-minute TV show that is so well done and so compelling that watching it was all I had to do to stay up to date. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But that's not the way it is in the real world. Things have gotten a bit more complicated. Oh, no. So last week, I talked about my favorite places to get information, essentially books and podcasts, But I freely admit that I'm not like most people. There's a special corner reserved in InfoSec land for the Howard kind of crazy. So I thought I would get a second opinion. Invite some subject matter experts to the CyberWire hash table and discuss how they do it. This should be fun. Hold on to your butts. My name is Rick Howard, and I'm broadcasting from the CyberWire's Secret Sanctum Sanctorium Studios, located underwater somewhere along the Patapsco River near Baltimore Harbor. And you're listening to CSO Perspectives, my podcast about the ideas, strategies, and technologies that senior security executives wrestle with on a daily basis. Steve Winterfeld is Akamai's advisory CISO, and Errol Weiss is the CSO for the Health ISAC, and I've known both of them since the world was young. Steve and I served in the U.S. Army together, and Errol and I worked together in the early days of the FS ISAC. Both of them bring a wealth of experience from the InfoSec world and have interesting and unique views about how to continue their education as students of the cybersecurity game. Our discussion was, shall we say, freewheeling. Here's the interview. Enjoy. Uh, So in an effort to stay up to date on everything that's going on in the InfoSec world, we all consume a lot of content. And over the years, I found it to be extremely useful to pull some smart people that I run into about what they consume. But unfortunately, I couldn't find any smart people for this show. So the three of us 
will act as proxies. And that those are the two best jokes I have. So if you guys aren't laughing, all right, we're this is going to be a long interview session. Well, you can tell we go way back to take this kind of abuse, right? <laughs> all good, all good. I think I'll be able to match those dad jokes by the end of this. <laughs> good. <laughs> All right, so we're going to do a couple of rounds each about the InfoSec content that the three of us consumed and thought were especially useful in 2021. So, Steve, let's start with you. What's your first pick for useful InfoSec content this past year? So a part of the challenge is for, for those of us that have done this for a while is finding something that you're, you're getting a new idea. And, and for me... Um, I consume information in a bunch of different ways. So I'm going to start off with a couple podcasts that I've really gotten something out of. The first is BBC put out a podcast on the Lazarus heist. Oh, I love and that I thought, show. That's a great show. And I, I thought I kind of knew what was going on with them. But by the end of that, I had learned quite a bit. And it was nice to have it all laid out kind of end to end. Because it was a great flow. And the good news is they're about to come up with the second season. Yeah. And so, you know, but BBC has put out the, the, the Missing Crypto Queen, the Lazarus Heist. They've got some great podcasts. And it, it's really well done. The second one is more kind of that continuous education. And that's the Darknet Diaries. I love the Dark Knight there. I love the way he tells stories about that. That makes it so uh, approachable and uh, understandable. Yeah, and it's it's interesting. Like some episodes, I'll be like, okay, that was fine. Or I might not even make it all the way through the episode. And then there's others like uh, the guy that uh, actually printed fake currency. <laughs> and it was, it was something I didn't know that much about. And I was amazed how he managed to get through all those security gates and actually, you know, produce realistic currency. So I really like that as far as, I'll say, continuous learning. So I've noticed that as a trend in the podcast world uh, this past year or so, that there's these limited series. This is not a show that, like a, a continuous show that happens every week. It's a, we're going to do, we're going to cover a subject like the Lazarus Heist over, you know, eight, nine seasons or eight, nine episodes. And they cover it from A to Z, which I really like. Like you said, I thought I knew a lot about it until I listened to somebody put it all together and connect all the dots. Uh, have you heard any of that, Errol? Did you guys, have you stumbled into those podcasts? Yeah, I've seen some of the guys on uh, staff here at Health Isaac are big fans of, of that as well. Yeah. All right, so Steve, good, good picks. I like both of those. Errol, let's move over to you. What's your first pick for InfoSec content? Okay. So, uh, you know, always tough to narrow stuff like this down. So I'm going to go my first pick. I'm going to go to um, a colleague from the uh, finance sector, Phil Venables. Uh, he's uh, on Twitter with at Phil Venables, and uh, I've known Phil a long time. Did you used to work for him? Well, maybe, maybe kind of, sort of during probably during my consulting days. I'm sure I probably I, I did have to do something for him actually. So, <laughs> uh, so actually, that's how I met him. He was um, at Standard Chartered Bank a long time ago, and I uh, came to visit him to do some penetration testing way, way back in the day when I actually knew what I was doing on the keyboard. Um, but uh, but he's a he's a brilliant guy. He was after Standard Charter. A couple of jobs later, he was over at Goldman Sachs uh, as the CISO over there. 
He's currently at uh, Google now and uh, just an incredibly brilliant person. He's very personable and very humble as well. Um, and he, and on, on Twitter, he is uh, providing some gems. I mean, there's, there's some maybe non-cybersecurity things out there that he's posting, but a lot of what he is posting, he's pushing on things about everything from cloud security to risk management um, philosophy to incident response. And some are short. Um, his risk management one, I think, was like 13 tweets broken up covering various topics, but uh, he'll lay it out there. And, and I think, you know, one of the things that I really enjoy about Phil is, um, you know, thinking about the places where he's been and, and uh, especially from his days, his long career at Goldman and now at Google, um, you know, doing security for these large organizations, you know, he's obviously seen it all and being able to see the wisdom uh, coming from him on Twitter, uh, very candid, is just enormously valuable. So really just encourage people to take a look at that. I met Phil like when he when he was at Goldman Sachs too, and he and I hit it off right off because he's a huge reader, and so we were comparing book notes. And he is one of the the one of our great minds in cybersecurity uh, from the industry. So I, that's a fantastic book, Steve. Have you ever run into Phil in your travels? Yeah, I've I've heard some of his uh, wisdom as well, and I agree that uh, it, it's definitely worth it. Uh, that's one I I haven't done, so I'll have to start following that one. An opportunity for me. Uh, he's obviously really well connected and he just recently got nominated for one of the White House um, uh, oversight and uh, or um, advisory roles. And uh, and uh, like I said, he's very humble about it. You know, he, he's not the kind of guy that's going to name drop on you. Do either of you two get annoyed with Twitter when uh, some, like you were describing, Errol, how uh, Phil will give you a tome? you know, 22 Twitter messages at, at a time. Is anybody, is that annoying anybody besides me? Because I, that's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, usually Twitter is sitting there waiting for the, okay, the, the words of wisdom and 144 characters or less. And they're like, darn, look at that. He's got 15 yeah. tweets that I'm going to have to read now. <laughs> this is going to take a while. I didn't want to read a book <laughs> on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> All right, well, good pick, Errol. Um, for my first pick, I'm going to go a little bit out of the ordinary here. It's called Kill Chain, the Cyber War on America's Elections. This is a HBO documentary broadcast in March of 2020. So let me give you some context here. Uh, Hari Hursty is our guide for this movie, and it's ostensibly about how fragile the election equipment and infrastructure is in the U.S., and this comes out like eight months before the U.S. presidential election between the incumbent President Trump and the now President Biden. And it's also at the exact moment when the U.S. went into serious lockdown because of COVID. So people might have missed it. They may have been thinking of other things. But Hursty is a Finnish computer expert, and he was when he was much younger— he was kind of a child programming prodigy, and, but he's made his career out of hacking election hardware. And he managed to get a bunch of heavy hitters to come on the show and opine about how bad the situation was prior to the 2020 presidential election. People like Senator James Lankford, he was a Republican from Oklahoma, Mark Warner, a Democrat from Virginia, and these are just two, and there's many more in the show. He got Jeff Moss to come in, the founder of DEF CON and Black Hat, and a couple of metric tons of voting security experts like Sue Halperin. She's a freelance journalist for The New Yorker who, out of all the people that were on the show, she comes off to me as the most credible and knowledgeable. 
So here's the thing I liked about it and why I'm recommending it on this show. Uh, it was published before the 2020 presidential election. The experts are a group of lefty-leaning security experts trying to highlight a real problem in the U.S. election infrastructure that, by and large, was mitigated by the efforts of Chris Krebs, the former Microsoft executive appointed by President Trump to head the Cybersecurity Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA. And by all accounts, Krebs and his team were exponentially successful. And then President Trump fired him over Twitter, so, you know, not to mention Twitter here, but... So today yeah. in 2022, just over a year since the presidential election, this HBO documentary highlights just how fragile the U.S. election machinery is, not just the voting machines, but the entire people, process, and technology apparatus. The entire system is based on low-level functionaries following the rule of law and doing the right thing when crises emerge. And in this last election, the system worked, but just barely. And in our current environment with fake news and false narratives about election fraud, in my mind, the system is even more weakened to the point of collapse. So this documentary scared the crap out of me. So, Steve, you haven't seen the show because you don't like HBO for some reason. Well, I don't make money like you do, so I can't <laughs> afford all those, those services like you do. But from what I – I will tell you that uh, I caught some of it and um, – does a, a great job of blending the technical and explaining the impact, um, you know, and, and the scenes where you have people testifying, they don't touch the internet, and then he turns around and demonstrates it touching the internet, kind of uh, just well done. Yeah, they want some of the scenes in the show, the, uh, the equipment that we're using in the last election were, or our equipment that uh, Haristi, the guy that hosts the show, he had broken to in, by, in 2005, and people are still using the same unmodified equipment. So it's just kind of really scary, right? So, Errol, any thoughts on election security before we move to the next topic? Yeah, no, it's great. You know, the, I haven't seen it. Definitely something I would love to go take a peek at. But the thing that you know, I, I appreciate that this came out like way before the election happened. And, and now I'm thinking to your point, how fragile it is and how bad things are. Now let's throw like, you know, all this deep fake technology that's really starting to spark right now. Throw that at it, man. How scary is that going to get? I hope we can make some progress. Yeah, it's, it's pretty discouraging. All right. So that's my yeah. first pick. Let's, uh, let's go to your second pick, Errol. What's your... Uh, second pick for useful InfoSec content this past year. Yeah, so um, I'm going to go with a, uh, I'll call it like a newsletter service that I've been um, using for several years called Smart Brief. And um, I, I gave you the link so you can offer that up to our readers here. But um, yeah, we'll put you know, it in the show notes. They've got over 200, too. great. They've got over 200 different topics that uh, that are available, but I honed in on it because um, actually when I, when I moved from banking and finance over to healthcare, I was like, I got I to gotta do some really quick reading and research about what I'm getting myself into when I move over to health ISAC. So what's well, going on? Explain that so, a little bit, Earl. Explain what you did. You were, you were a big deal in the finance sector and then you moved over to the healthcare sector. Explain <laughs> what happened there. Yeah, so, uh, so uh, Rick and I met when, uh, when I was working over at Citibank at the time and I was heading up uh, Citi's Cyber Intelligence Center and helped uh, create and build and operate that for a while. So I was at City for 10 years and then Bank of America for three years before I left there to go uh, take on this role with the Health ISAC. And um, 
So yeah, I felt very comfortable in the finance sector after all the work that I did between <laughs> those two banks and other consulting services. And it was, a, it was, a, it was an uncomfortable a change of uh, jobs at that time, you know, just really putting myself out there and trying to do something to, to grow professionally by getting into another sector. So, so, uh, so, so yeah, so that I, I stumbled across this, uh, this smart brief and they have, uh, like I said, lots, hundreds of different topics. I found this one on healthcare, IT and, and security. That was, that was pretty good. And then since then, um, another one that I, that I really uh, have been paying attention to as of late is on is uh, smart brief on leadership. And uh, I like it again, because <laughs> Um, in my short attention span that I seem to have these days, like a, you know, being a big fan of Twitter, for example, I like the fact that I can get the emails in my inbox every day. I can scan through the titles quickly and, say, and see if there's something in there that sounds interesting to me. And if it is, I'll dive into the article. So on the leadership side, you know, there'll be articles about like how to, how to be an effective remote leader. And especially in the days of COVID, that's really helpful. Uh, you know, tips and tricks on on motivating uh, people in in these times, and um, other issues that you need to be sensitive to as a manager or leader, or thinking about strategic leadership issues and whatnot. But every day, you know, nice little gems in there that I that I can learn from. So I really appreciate it. So this is a commercial service that you subscribe to, and they summarize big categories of things, so you can get through it quickly. Is is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. There's some original, it feels like there's some original content in there. I'm sure they're leveraging it from a number of sources. Steve's going to like it because it's free. <laughs> that was a joke. No, um, that's, a lot. that's not a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I like it because it's free, let's face it. Um, but it, it's, been, it's been really helpful for me. And, and, and uh, like I say, good, good daily email content out of that. So I actually subscribe to your Healthcare Digest. Um, and, and I, I looked at some of these topics, and you're right. They're great topics. They're well curated. Uh, with all of these, how do you keep up with those, you know, all those daily feeds? I just, I struggle with the discipline it takes to go in and review those. If that's your thing for this year, is you're going to try to stay up to speed on a number of topics, you're going to have to dedicate yourself to, you know, carve off a couple of hours every day just to go through all the material, right? That's what you're saying, right, Steve? Well, I don't even know that it's a couple hours, but even like, so if, let's say 15, I don't disagree, but, you know, <laughs> yeah. even if you say half hour every day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to open up this thread, I'm going to follow through. Uh, reading an article often takes you, okay, they mentioned this author, I'm going to jump into YouTube, I'm going to see if there's a, this author is presented in YouTube and, you know, you're off to the races doing, you know, research based on following the bread trail. It's that discipline I struggle with. I mean, Earl, how do you make yourself every day yeah. read that digest? Well, this is, I mean, this is it. This is, and this is exactly why we're here. So I give Rick a plug. Thank you for pulling us together because I, seriously, I think that, this is how you find out where you focus your time, right? You don't have those four hours a day to read through all this no. stuff. So how can I get it done in 20 minutes or maybe half an hour? And it's by listening to other people. Hey, what are your favorites and why? And, and what, what value are you getting out of it? And, um, and, and, and make sure that that resonates with someone. Um, 
you know, Rick, you know, Rick, Rick has asked us about our favorite books. And I'm saying like books, who's got time to read a book? I mean, seriously. <laughs> well, the, the, I'm, I have a, uh, this, I have a cybersecurity news service that we use at the cyber, that we publish something at the cyber and the, uh, our editors, Don Petrick goes through all the news and it just collects it all in one spot. So you can quickly get through just the newsy stuff, right, uh, in one place. So if you're looking for that kind of thing, I do that every day. And it, uh, it's been very helpful. And it takes about 30 right, minutes was, to go through all that. Yeah, I was going to, and I could put a selfless plug in there, right, for the CyberWire. So I know I mentioned this to you before, but, you know, there's a section in, in that CyberWire we call Marketplace. Yeah. And um, I appreciate like all the M&A mergers and acquisition news in there. And then also like all the startup talk that's in there. So it's a great place for me to go look and say, hey, what's hot in cyber? What's coming? What are people throwing money at? You know, what do I need to pay attention to? So it's very similar to the service you were, you were, and tell me the name again of the service you, you were plugging at the beginning of this. What was it called again? Uh, Smart Brief. Smart Brief. Smart so it's brief. similar to that yeah. and that it curates all that. So you don't have to do that work. So that's, uh, that's very interesting. So great pick, uh, Errol. That's a good one. Steve, let's go to yours. What's your second pick for InfoSec content of 2021? So I know there are dinosaurs out there that still read books. Um, <laughs> what, what? What are you <laughs> saying exactly? <laughs> and so, uh, like Earl said, I mean, there are some books that are absolutely worth reading. Um, you know, and, and I, just like you, I'm an avid reader. But I also... Um, love to get quick insights. And so I have taken to, when I see a book come out, um, Nicole Perlot just came out with, this is how they tell me the world ends. She has some great YouTube interviews. Uh, and I, and, you know, I shared a link for that. A bit older is Andy Greenberg and uh, Sam Worm lessons yep. from uh, the cyber war. Again, a number of great interviews. And so, you can, you know, the book comes out, you can quickly go watch a YouTube interview of the author and get, I don't know, 5 10% of the value of the book instantly. Um, and then it'll also kind of convince you, like, after seeing this is how they tell me the world ends, and I'm like, I, I think there's something there, went out and bought the book. And so it's just that kind of quick filter, both for education and, and should I be going in here a little deeper? Well, tell me what the book's about, because I read it too, and it's just fantastic. But uh, give, me, give us the thumbnail of uh, what the book's about. Um, the world-ending book yeah. is really kind of about um, how they opened up and are selling uh, malware as an industry, I mm -hmm. think is, is kind of, you know, and there's a lot of, that's like over-oversimplification. But it, it gives you great insights. It goes into detail um, to that whole concept of, you know, should should we as an industry uh, be making weapons uh, and selling weapons? Should we be fixing vulnerabilities um, both at a at a nation state and and a business? Yeah, it's a. I would broaden it out a little bit and say it's really the history and evolution of the underground exploitation market. You know, selling exploit code to third parties. Uh, and I, admittedly, I have a, a self-interest in it because uh, the beginning of it all started with a small company called iDefense that I worked for um, after they started this program. Uh, but uh, a guy by the name of John Waters in, kind of invented uh, selling exploits to the governments and other third parties. 
Uh, so I had a vested interest in the whole book. But the thing that got me about Pearl Ross' book was she was getting to the end. And, uh, you know, she was going around the world talking to all these exploit market people. And she ended up in Argentina. And by the way, who knew that Argentina was the world capital for selling exploits? I didn't know until I read that book. Yeah, but she was talking to uh, somebody there, and she goes, she was kind of worried that they were selling all this, you know, weaponized code. And she said, well, you're only selling it to the good guys, you know, like Western governments. And the guy she was talking to looked at her and says, you got to rethink your frame of what's good and what's bad. Do you think the United States and the West, they're the good guys? They're the ones dropping drone bombs on uh, civilians. They're the ones uh, going about and buying this exploitation stuff. They're probably not the good guys. And I had to stop and think about that and go, hmm, I need to reset, uh, reset my thinking about who the good guys in the world are. <laughs> Errol, are you, you, you were with me when I was at iDefense or when I was working there. Um, so you know all about this exploitation work. What's your thought about uh, where we are in the current state of the world? Well, I, you know, your your words about uh, who are the good guys and the bad guys resonates really well because um, I think about my time at uh, at a place like Citibank when uh, running Threat Intel there, and we're dealing with nation state issues and we're talking about the you know Brazil, Russia, China, on and on and on, right? And we're like you know we're trying to issue um, alerts and advisories internally to our staff, and we have employees in those places we have customers in those places so you know how do you communicate that and uh and and those challenges associated with that so it's uh makes for for an interesting day when you're facing that kind of issue and i certainly am sensitive to that and by the way rick i knew about the argentina as soon as i listened to an interview so i didn't even have to read the book to get that insight <laughs> all right so your your second pick steve is not to actually read the books to is to read a, or and and listen about the books yeah <laughs> so i go to the cliff notes go to the, <laughs> go, to the, the go to the author interviews i think that's the running theme here uh find the way to get the cliff notes all right so good stuff uh all right, let's go to my last pick. Uh, I'm going to go with another HBO documentary. It's called The Perfect Weapon. And I'm a little biased here because the documentary is based on a book. How about that? It's a uh, cybersecurity canon project Hall of Fame winner written by New York Times journalist David Sanger. And in the book, Sanger covers the cybersecurity space roughly from the late 1990s to almost the 2020s. But he stays away from the traditional cybercrime and cyber hacktivism topics and concentrates only on nation-state activity in something that he describes as a continuous low-level cyber conflict between the five big players, Russia, Iran, China, North Korea, and the United States. And if you want to get a handle on the history and evolution of cyber warfare conducted by nation states, there is no other book to read, I think. All right. So, but if you're busy and you don't have time to listen to 12 hours of audio content, uh, this 90 minute documentary from HBO is an excellent Reader's Digest version. So, there you go. I'm meeting the theme here. So, Sanger produced this thing, he's an executive producer and he's the host, but he gets a bunch of help from people like Michael Riley from Bloomberg News. John Holquist from FireEye, and uh, Amy Zagart from Stanford University. And the documentary focuses just in the past decade, just from 2010 to 2020. And the realization that by nation-state leaders during that time, that cyber could be much bigger than simply an espionage vector. 
it can be used in a much more aggressive offensive context, right? And it covers the U.S.-Israeli Stuxnet operations in 2010, the Chinese OPM campaign in 2013, the Iranian sand casino attacks, the North Korean Sony attacks, and the Russian penetration of the DNC, all in the same year. You guys remember that? That was all in the same year, 2014. God, it's crazy, right? And then uh, they quickly go through the North Korean WannaCry attack and the Russia NotPetya attacks against Ukraine in 2017. And they end up with focusing on the influence operations in the U.S. presidential election in 2020. It's really comprehensive and very enjoyable. And the thing that comes out through, to me, loud and clear, is that nation states that compete with the West in cyberspace don't actually have to have a huge success as an attack to be effective. They just have to convince both sides on the political spectrum that there's a reason to doubt the system. Then they step back and watch each side tear each other apart. So it's just, it was, it's a really good pr uh, program, but it's another book, uh, movie that'll scare the crap out of you. And so I don't know, Errol, have you seen the movie or more importantly, listen to David Sanger talk about this or have an opinion about these things, just these influence Yeah, no, I haven't, haven't seen it yet. Now it's just, your description's awesome. I've got to put that on the top now to get caught up with it. But I, my, my, my take on it real brief is Probably uh, four or five years ago, there was uh, maybe less than 10 countries that had a really decent cyber offensive capability. Yeah. And now where we are today, I think it's the opposite. I think it's probably less than 10 countries that don't have a cyber offensive capability. So, scary stuff. Yeah, so it's interesting. Jane's defense which is one of the uh, the groups here in the United States that catalogs different countries' capabilities, uh, started talking about cyber uh, years ago and tracking which countries had military units for cyber and how mature they were. Uh, so it is it has definitely been blossoming and and very impressive in the amount of effort and resources they put in there. Uh, I would also say if you go back to 2018, you can see uh, some of um, his, uh, Stranger's interviews uh, right after the book came out. Oh, yeah. Going back to my technique of, uh, <laughs> for those of us who can't pay, afford that really nice HBO membership. <laughs> and not actually reading the book, you know, just uh, reading the Reader's Digest. Hey, I... <laughs> Um, Love it. So I, the one thing that came out really clearly in that in that documentary was how the nation states learn from each other, right? Because, you know, the people that started this was the U.S. and Israel when they did Stuxnet back in 2010. And then the other nations said, hey, this is something that we can do. And we kind of opened the door for offensive operations. You were going to say, Steve? Yeah, and great, right? When you launch that uh, that weapon, now the, uh, the other side's got it, right? And they can yeah. reverse engineer it, right? Yeah, exactly right. Well, and the rule of unintended consequences is there too. But uh, yeah, I would say that is a phenomenal piece of, of historical perspective. So you can watch that and, and just like you said, in a real short period of time, get a great perspective of some of the cyber history at the nation state level. So this has been good stuff. We've gone around the table a couple of times. Uh, I, I got some new sources of things I need to go check out. Uh, any last words, Steve, from your side about what we should be thinking about in 2022? So I'm going to add a couple bonuses in here. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about YouTube. I would also go back to the RSA conference. 
they have a lot of great videos uh, from their past speakers available. Yeah, there's so, so much. It's tough to decide which ones to pursue. It's, and we need another summary yeah. service to figure that out. For <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, uh, some of it is, you know, go in there um, subject, you know, specific. But uh, yeah, if, if you're like me getting on the elliptical, there's a ton of stuff in RSA. And then just for fun, and I'm not admitting that on conference calls, I practice my lock picking skills while I'm sitting there. Uh, but I will say, if you have never watched The Lock Picking Lawyer on YouTube, it is a blast. Oh, I, that's going to go right to the top of my list. Excellent. <laughs> Errol, ask, uh, any last notes from you? Nah, it's, uh, this is great stuff. I've learned a few things myself. Um, I'll just I'll put one more plug out there for uh, another friend, Annie Jabour, over at Gate 15. I gave oh, yeah. you his uh, Twitter link as well. Yeah. Um, and he's a, a great asset when it comes to thinking about things uh, physical and in the, in the security resilience space as well. And he's doing a lot of great work there. And so he, he's a good one to follow because uh, especially in the physical security event work, uh, space, uh, when, there's a, when there's an event of interest that I need to pay attention to, he's tweeting about it pretty early and, um, and already talking about what it means from the yeah. so, sort of the sector standpoint. I just recently started following him before uh, about a couple of weeks before the show. So yeah, yeah, it's a good one. Nice, uh, nice bonus pick there. And we're going to have to leave it there. So Steve Arrow, uh, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. And that's a wrap. I want to thank my old buddies, Steve Winterfeld, the Akamai advisory CISO and Errol Weiss, the CSO for the health ISAC for sharing their ideas with us. And if you have any suggestions about InfoSec content that we all should be consuming to get better at this cybersecurity game, send them to csop at thecyberwire.com. That's C-S-O-P, the at sign, thecyberwire, all one word, dot com. And if you're feeling especially adventurous, we would love to get an audio note from you. It turns out that there's an app for that. On my iPhone and my friend's Android phones, it's called Voice Memos. Record a short snippet and email it our way. We would love to hear from you. Next week, we will be talking about supply chain security, so you don't want to miss that. The CyberWire CSO Perspectives is edited by John Petrick and executive produced by Peter Kilpie. Our theme song is by Blue Dot Sessions, remixed by the insanely talented Elliot Peltzman, who also does the show's mixing, sound design, and original score. And I am Rick Howard, signing off from our underwater lair in Baltimore Harbor. And I will see you at the next CSO Perspectives episode. If you enjoyed this preview of CSO Perspectives, be sure to subscribe to CyberWire Pro and get access to the rest of this episode, as well as all past seasons of CSO Perspectives ad-free. And you all know I love getting rid of the ads. Visit thecyberwire.com slash CSO Pro. That's thecyberwire.com slash CSO Pro to explore the many benefits of CyberWire Pro and to subscribe.